the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into Hour 3. Delighted to bring back Brandon Weikert. He joins us almost every Monday. Brandon Weikert, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. You can follow him on Twitter, X, or Twix at We, the Brandon. His books, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. His most recent, The Shadow War, Ron's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. Welcome back, Brandon. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here, as always. It's a special day for the Weikert family. There's a new Weikert. (laughs) Tell us all about it. (laughs) Yeah, baby Elizabeth, spelled with an S, not a Z. I was born this morning, 6 pounds, 12 ounces, and very healthy. Well, I, it's fantastic. I mean, God bless you guys, and uh, Thank you. yeah, you betcha. And may she uh, and you all thrive wonderfully. I, I'm a little embarrassed that we took you away. Uh, oh no, no, I had to run back home. I forgot something, so I had to run. Luckily, we live down the street. Okay, so I, I'm I'm currently driving back to go to the hospital because I I got what we needed. Well, also, there's not a lot for you to do right now, to be honest. <laughs> I'm sort of sort of a passive observer. You're kind, yeah, there's, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I'll probably get in trouble with the audience a little bit with that, but let's be honest, there's not a lot for you to do today. Not really, just I held the baby for a couple hours. That's about it, yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, my wife wanted to sleep, and I think she was annoyed with my breathing, uh-huh. so I, I, you know, it was probably for the best. So yeah. I stepped out for about 30 minutes. Okay, all right. Well, it's a delight to have you, and there's certainly no shortage of things to use you for, so you can talk at I us. I love to be useful. Yeah, 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 of course. I don't know where to start with you. There's so much to start with to talk about. Let, let me do domestic first, and then we'll get, and then we'll go, uh, obviously, international, which is uh, one of your forts, uh, particularly China and the Middle East. Um yeah. Tim Scott dropping out. I spoke a little bit about it earlier. Anything extra to say that hasn't been said? Any particular insights about this? I, I, I honestly, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I didn't think he had it anyway. And I always resent people getting in a race when they don't have it. Yeah. He strikes yeah. me as a as a as a potential VP candidate. I know you think it's uh, Nikki Haley, but anyway, yeah. what else is there to say that hasn't? Well, been? I think it's. I think it's. You know, I would say it's a, a, a tale told by an you know, idiot, uh, yes. you know, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Yeah. But actually, he was sort of a pipsqueak on the campaign trail. Yeah. Uh, so even that, it wasn't even full of sound and fury. It was yeah. just a waste of time. Yeah. Um, you know, I like Tim Scott. He seems like a nice guy. I agree with him on a lot of issues. Um, you know, but he's sort of a, a throwback yeah. to a, a, a long gone Republican Party. Uh, and and even if he were the only guy running, I don't think he'd win. I, I, he's kind of like a Mitt Romney. Um, and, uh, you know, he's just sort of uh, he's sort of a sleepy guy. And I'm, I'm sort of glad that he got out. I wish he had never gotten in to begin with. 
Um, and I think for the record, I think it's pretty obvious, you know, I, I'm a little upset with DeSantis. I think it's pretty obvious that Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. Yeah. And I think that as much as I love DeSantis, I think the party needs to start rallying around Trump, yeah. all of his yeah. warts and all, yeah. uh, and needs to just start, you know, swallowing the pill and getting on board now. You know, it's funny you say that, or interesting you say that. I was on a call this morning uh, with someone who um, is particularly not favorable towards Donald Trump. And you know what? That person said the same thing. You know, it, yeah. I, I don't like Trump. I not That's not me speaking. That's him speaking. I don't right. like Trump. I have never liked Trump. I don't think he's great for the party, but we have a country to save, and let's get on right. with it already. Let's and, stop know, the. And, let's just stop the the, the bickering and yeah. go. Yeah. And you know, I and I say that with pain because you know I was an early DeSantis guy, but you know he's been a real kind of just limp fish. Um, I'm very surprised that I'm just very surprised by his really bad performance. Over advised, um, I think. I think he's over advised. Well, let me put it this way. Yeah. They hired certain people. I was cut out. I wasn't brought in. I should have been brought in. Um, and, you know, I could have told them that whatever he was doing wasn't working. They had this social media strategy. And I realized that votes haven't been cast yet. And, of course, I still think DeSantis could win Iowa. But Ted Cruz won Iowa in 2016. And so I love DeSantis. I wish him the best. And, I, and if he is the nominee, great. But I just don't see it happening at this point. Um, and I, I just, you know, I think that Trump, I think he's got a lot of problems. I don't even know if he can actually win the election at this point, the, the general election. Uh, but you know what? If he's the nominee... Um, he's going to be the fighter. I there mean, are know, some interesting polls, though, that's showing it's not as there are. Yeah, you know, that. that and he was, yeah. and, and Seth, he was right on, I would argue, the most consequential issue of our time yeah. was the Middle East. Yeah. yeah. Donald Trump, and, I, and I've said this, you know, when I, was, when I was pro, working for, you know, working out in public and I was telling people I was for DeSantis, I never attacked Trump on the issues that I agree with him on, of which there were many. Yeah. I always said that the Trump Middle East policy was probably the most brilliant foreign policy move from any Republican or Democrat president in the last 30 years for the Middle East. And I maintain that. I have always maintained that. What's so interesting about it is for those that are willing to take the lesson and pay attention— is, you know, the policies he enacted were policies that almost every Republican said they would do and none of them did because they would go through their hand wringing and they would go through their exceptions and they would go through their waivers because they didn't want to upset a larger, you know, a larger Arab street or what have you. And he just said That's the hell. they were cowards. Yeah, well, it's I think so. Cowards. I think so, too. I think the State Department talked them into using waivers on all kinds of things. Uh, whether it was targeted, um, targeted, uh, targeted killings, or whether it was moving the embassy, or recognizing the Golan Heights, or any of this stuff, and he said, you know, I think, I think it shows weakness, and I think what I, th- I think we just pick a side and and show moral clarity in where we're at, and it I, pacified the region. And I think the fact that he didn't come from the kind of Washington establishment yeah. swamp helped because he didn't have. He wasn't inculcated in that sort of sacred cow mentality. He was just sort of looking at it as a layman. 
Um, and again, I'm, you know, I still love DeSantis and I still, you know, hope that he can pull a victory out, but I don't think it's going to happen. And I, I think that DeSantis is right on a lot of issues, but he can't win. And I don't think he fights. Yeah, I'll I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, That's an interesting point. Let me say one more thing about the Trump Middle East policy. You know, there's a negative implication to be drawn here, too, that maybe needs to be spoken of or written up. You'd be the right guy to do it. Um, You know, it didn't take a savant to see that all that hand-wringing, use of waivers, anxious propitiation, you know, it didn't get anyone anything. There, there was no more peace as a result of that than there was, in fact, there was more peace as a result of showing strength and taking a side. All these waivers, all these um, efforts at pacification, it never brought peace. Right. And I want to say something else, because there's a pattern here, Seth. Whether you're talking about the Middle East under Trump or Ukraine and Russia under Trump or North Korea under Trump, all of the, the usual suspects in D.C., they hated Trump. They said he was he was an idiot. They said he was a lunatic. Joe Biden in January of 2017 supposedly wrote an article for Time magazine three weeks before Trump was yeah, sworn right. in yeah. saying that Trump was going to start World yeah. War Three yeah. and he was going to kill the liberal That's order right. in the world. That's right. Well, it's actually all happening under Biden. Right. And it's actually Trump had the most successful track record in those three hotspots that I just talked about than any president in the last 20 years. And so I think that not only is it moral clarity, which is ironic, given Trump's personality yeah. and sort of his, you know, his personal record with marriages yeah. and whatnot, yeah. but, but you know, it's this paradoxical thing. I think historians, if there are any left in the future, are going to be scratching their head because Trump is this walking paradox, yeah. and yet he managed to achieve that which the doyens of foreign policy have always said they wanted to achieve and spent their entire lives supposedly working to achieve, and they never came close in four years what Donald Trump was able to do. It is amazing. He'll never get credit. Those of us who give him credit, like me, will always be hated by those who hate him. Even when we're not fully in, in love with Trump as a candidate, we'll always get hated for supporting him for those facts. But you know what? They're facts. Trump was right on foreign policy. And the greatest irony here is he doesn't have a lick of foreign policy experience of any candidate who he's run in the last 20 years. You know, uh, let me plant this before the break, and we can talk about it if you like on the other side. On domestic policy, I have this view that a lot of these social welfare agencies and programs, whether it is welfare, whether it's homeless, whether it's mental health, a lot of these places— you know, they want the problem. They're self-perpetuating organizations because if the problem exists, they exist. And I think that's probably true of the foreign policy establishment. Let me Absolutely. Take, let me take a quick break. Brandon Weikert and I'll be right back. Brandon Weikert is my guest, author of several important books. Um, most recently, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. We'll get to that and some of that in a moment. He can be on... Uh, Twitter X or Twix followed at we, W-E, the, T-H-E, Brandon, B-R-A-N-D-O-N. Yeah, no, I was just saying before the break, you know, all this, um, all this diplomatic uh, gamesmanship and all this diplomatic, uh, I keep coming back to the term hand-wringing, all this, uh, you know, self-doubt about, you know, taking a side and managing a crisis 
it almost seems like it's an ongoing employment uh, opportunity organization, right. an employment, uh, uh, you, uh, uh, you know, an employment line for people in in the foreign service. Um, right. Just like you know, you see with the homeless or mental health or welfare, you know, there's this weird kind of Munchausian by proxy effort to keep the yeah. problem alive so that you can yeah. continue to manage it, work it, have a job right. and have your expertise taken seriously. I think that's true in foreign policy, too. Trump not having right. that experience said, are, you know, are you kidding me? <laughs> right. Right. And I agree. I agree. I mean, just look at the trade issue. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, Robert Lighthizer, I think, is probably my favorite person to have come out of the Trump administration. I've briefed him a couple of times when he was in office. I know his background. Um, the, the, the Trump foreign policy and the, the, rather the Trump trade policy was probably the most innovative of all of his policies. And, of course, the Wall Street Journal editorial page and, again, the doyens of the Republican establishment they hated Trump more for that than the Democrats mm-hmm, did. Mm-hmm. And Robert Lighthizer was a Bob Dole guy. Yeah. Robert Lighthizer came from a very certain part of the party that once was considered very pro-free market. And he was the one shaping Trump's trade policies that did so much damage to the Chinese economy that really put the Chinese on their heels, which is why, as you know, in Biohacked, in one of the chapters called Biological 9-11, I make the case that actually the trade war was why they unleashed COVID-19. It mm-hmm. was a backdoor retaliation to try to destroy our economy in retaliation for Trump's very successful trade war on agricultural foodstuffs. And so um, what I'm getting at here is Trump really was innovative, even though I, you know, I kind of shudder. I think he's a bit of a, you know, a, you know, he's kind of a brute. And I, I, I think that, you know, he, he sometimes is his own worst enemy. I don't think sometimes he operates very logically. But you know what? When it comes down to the policies he had, many, 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 I wish that he had been more successful. But many of the policies he actually was able to implement, almost all of them were wild successes. Yeah, my um I have a friend who's 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 kind of like this um too, Brandon, and he said, "Here's everything I need to know about Trump." This was back in 2015, I think it was, early 2016. Um there's something in New York in Central Park called the Woolman Rink. It's an ice rink, an outdoor ice yes. rink. And yes. right. And for it. years it couldn't it, yeah. get redone and for years it was over budget and Ed Koch as you know, as masterful yeah. as he was, he couldn't get it. And one day Trump calls him and says, you know, I can do this on, in, in X, Y period of time for this amount of money. And Ed Koch says, what do you know about ice? He goes, I don't know anything about ice, but I know a lot of Canadians and they know about ice and I can get it done. And he got it done under budget and under time. And my friend said, yeah. you know what, as much of a buffoon as he is, that told me everything I needed to know about yeah. him. Yeah. And, you know, I will say, um, he can work with Democrats, and I actually think that I actually think that what his greatest failing was working too closely with Paul Ryan uh, when Paul Ryan was the Speaker of the House. My biggest one of my biggest complaints about Trump in the first term was that he handed basically his legislative agenda agenda over to Paul Ryan and Mark Short or Mark Strong, Mark Short and uh, the Coke guy, and um, that was Pence's also legislative guy. Um, and that was a terrible decision. I actually think that 
Trump on his own could have probably, if he had sort of initially began doing deals with Pelosi and Schumer, Schumer and him are friends, actually. They were for years. So he has a lot of personal connections that, unfortunately, he wasn't able to play on because I think he was he was actually listening to the wrong people in the Republican Party who were saying, don't negotiate. I actually think in the beginning, he could have probably gotten a real deal on Obamacare if he had sort of shunned Paul Ryan, because Paul Ryan is a you know libertarian lunatic. Um, and so I, I have some problems with him on that. But, um, you know, I, I just think that Trump is effective when he actually checks his ego. And that's another problem I have with Trump is the ego factor. Um, but, again, this is a guy, and we're going to have to just swallow the pill. If we get – got to get behind the nominee. I think he's probably going to be the nominee now. And so I'm going to give it my all if he is the nominee and being one of his loudest cheerleaders because we need the win. We need them. Well, I think that um, the way you're talking is the way people better get ready to start talking again and start reminding people of what he did. Uh, just the way this friend of mine on t- on the phone today was talking, just the way you're talking now. Yeah, because uh, we don't we, – we, I mean – we do have an election to win. The polling is not awful. Uh, the, there were two polls last week, uh, Siena and New York Times, showing he was winning in five states that matter against Biden. There was a new poll out this morning of 15,000 voters showing he loses the popular by about a point, but he wins the Electoral College, which is what matters, and right. uh, which is a repeat of 2016. So it's not a right. foregone conclusion. In fact, I mean, not that That's the polling right. today will be polling a year from now, but the polling today shows that this is this is a safer bet than many of us would have thought maybe six months yep. ago, right? Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, there's a, another factor here. Um, you know, I, you know that I was very pro-DeSantis. Yeah. I, I, I'm saying this as some, I mean, he's my governor. I knew DeSantis when he was a congressman. We worked together, our staffs. I, I say this as somebody who respects the heck out of DeSantis. And I would love to see him be president. I just he, he's not successful on the campaign trail. He lacks the dynamism that one needs in our current media environment. Trump has that in spades. And so I can either sit here and kind of go down with the burning ship and make it about me and my preference. Or I can say the Republican Party voter is clearly in favor of Donald Trump. And so I'm going to swallow my personal opinion and I'm going to vote for the guy that actually had a pretty good track record as president, and he is going to take the fight to the Democrats. He's not going to let the Democrats off the hook. And so, you know, that's where I'm at. And if I can do it, I think the rest of those never Trump. And I wasn't a never Trump person. Oh, I I think that's right. You you know, I, I I was an early Trump guy in 2015. I signed that letter, Scholars and Writers for Trump, almost at the beginning of it. So, you know, I don't hate the guy. I just, uh, I had some problems with him, but I, I think that it's time now. We'll see how Iowa goes, but I think it's time now that everybody who says they're a Republican, they better be prepared to pull the lever for Trump because he's probably going to be the nominee. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we better start getting ready to talk that way. All right, let me do uh, some. Fo- yeah, let's do some foreign policy when we come right back. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Brandon Weikert, and he and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. His most recent book, prolific author, his most recent book, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. 
Brandon, with all the talk about Israel and Gaza, and we'll get to it to be sure, there is this other story that's not getting a lot of attention, which is the attacks on U.S. military forces by Iran and proxies, mostly, I suppose, proxies. You can straighten me out. And some retaliations going on by us. I don't know if enough or not enough. But this seems like a tinderbox, and it's not getting talked about very much. Well, just like the Ukraine counteroffensive that's failed. Yeah. Uh, is not getting anyone, you know, any immediate attention in the West. Yeah. Uh, they're covering up. It's the same reason, by the way, um, as you know, what I just went through with one of my employers. Uh, it's the same reason why people are being laid off in droves and it's not being reported. They're covering up for Biden. They are covering up the fact that we are in a recession on the home front. They're covering up these uh, failed counteroffensives in Ukraine. And they're covering up the fact that we are in a regional war in the Middle East, proxy war that's about ready to go from a shadow war, proxy war into a world war. Yeah. And everybody in D.C. is acting like it's great. There's right. no problem here. Yeah. It's all right wing fantasy. Yeah. They're covering up. Yeah. This is the worst time for this country in 50 years, Seth. The worst time. And it's not going to get better with Sleepy Joe or any Democrat. I agree with everything you just said. I think Sleepy Joe is the cause of much of this, quite frankly. Well, he's the people around him are. He's not in control of anything. Okay. The people around but him But the portrayal are. of weakness, the portrayal yes. of after Afghanistan. I, I Look, I, I still think that Putin watched Afghanistan before he decided to move on Ukraine. I, 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 and, and I think he's watching Ukraine before uh, – Z is watching Ukraine before he moves on Taiwan. I agree. I agree. And, and Seth, I will say I'm working on a manuscript right now, and the opening chapter is all about Afghanistan yeah, good. and how people don't realize how botched that that was of an evacuation right, right. and what that did signaling to the rest of the world. That basically it's open season on the United That's States. That's what it sent. That's the message yes. that was sent. Yes. One hundred percent, Seth. And um, you look at what happens in August 21. Meanwhile, prattle that we shouldn't be talking about things like American greatness, the idea that we believe in our country. You don't hear that from China. You don't hear that from any other country that they don't believe in it. That's right. And so you look at August 2021, the pullout from Afghanistan, everything goes south from there. That is the that is the inflection point for the Biden administration when they sort of kind of were keeping things together a little bit. But the moment that Afghanistan happens, the way it happened, when it happened, as quickly as it happened, that was it. Because basically the world's lone superpower, so supposedly, decisively lost a 20-year war that cost some say a trillion dollars over that time. We lost to the very group, the Taliban, that we had knocked out of power. And in so the snap of a finger, power. we became a tertiary power. In the snap exactly. of a finger. Exactly. And you look at what's going on ever since then. Russia invades Ukraine. Right. The Middle East erupts a few years thereafter or a few months thereafter. By the way, I don't know if you're paying, your, your people are paying attention to this, but I'll bring it up here. North Korea. I've yeah. been saying yeah. after Iran is yeah. going to be North Korea. Yeah. And just like I'm the only one who's been right about this. I tell this to people in D.C. at the DIA. And they call me a conspiracy theorist and laugh me out of the room. China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, and Turkey are coordinating 
together. They are not operating separately anymore. They are operating as one entity, and the mission is to displace, weaken, and overthrow the U.S.-led world order. And so you've had now Ukraine, you now have Iran, and now on top of that, you have North Korea announcing that they are preparing for war. They've built up their nuclear weapons arsenal. And oh, by the way, the few countries they have diplomatic ties with they've started cutting off diplomatic ties with it's because they're getting ready to do something absolutely crazy. Right, right. No, I, President, it, yeah. uh, is it Yoon, I think, of South Korea, was just telling yeah. uh, telling our folks uh, that, you know, they and we should be prepared for a Hamas-style. This was a, um, a Hamas-style attack. Short segment. Let me put you yeah. on hold for the break. We'll come right back yeah. and do a longer one. Brandon Weikert is my guest. The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy biohacked china's race to control life and winning space how america remains a superpower and about 10 more books in the offing welcome back to the seth leibson show uh brandon weikert is our guest you can follow him on twitter at we the brandon um winning space how america remains a superpower the shadow war runs quest for supremacy and biohacked china's race to control life Brandon, I don't know if you follow much of the writings or like the writings. Um, sometimes he's an acquired taste. I always learn something from him of uh, Mark Halperin. But yeah. uh, he had a piece in um, he had a piece in the recent issue of the Claremont Review of Books, Israel at the Precipice. I highly encourage it to everyone. It's frightening for everyone who says Israel obviously will win this. Israel will obviously succeed. Boy, he outlines a series of potentialities that people have to be prepared for, uh, and he goes through them country by country by country. And you begin to f- rem- and you begin to remember, if you forgot, you begin to be reminded that you know this isn't 1973 or 1967 anymore. The world has changed a lot. So is the weaponry. And there, yeah. you know, at every at every level, yeah. Israel has a vulnerability. North, east, south, west, air. Yeah. And I and I tell you again, my biggest fear. I've been saying this from the start, and this was the first five chapters of the Shadow War, my book yeah. on this issue, was all about warning when Hamas does attack. It's not going to be Hamas that's going to be the biggest problem. It's going to be Hezbollah to the north, and it's going to be guided munitions that Hezbollah has built up and stationed in Lebanon as well as Syria. And uh, those missiles are designed to do one thing. They are targeting critical Israeli infrastructure nodes, notably the ammonium nitrate uh, storage facilities at the port of Haifa. And they are planning, when Hezbollah decides to open up a northern front, and they will, they are planning to strike the port of Haifa in the opening phases of the attack. Yeah. If they hit those ammonium nitrate storage uh, tanks in the port of Haifa with a precision-guided missile that's fueled with HMX, otherwise known as octogen, that will create a dirty bomb-like explosion that will render the port of Haifa completely unusable, right. which is basically the economic heart of Israelis of Israel's trading uh, yep. network. That's right. And this is what, and it won't take long for that missile to reach its target or for the missiles of Hezbollah to reach any of the infrastructure targets uh, throughout Israel. Um, and that's just the missiles. We're, we're not even talking about cyber attacks right. 
We're not even talking about. So you're right. And, you know, I think it was Margaret Thatcher toward the end of her life. At one point, she said that we've never we, you know, we've always had to live with evil, but we've never had to live with it side by side in our neighborhoods. Yeah. You know, and that's the, the reality that we're facing. Today. The evil is no longer our side of the wall versus their side of the wall. It's now intermingled with us. It's in our communities. Look around at these major American cities where you have tens of thousands of young Americans who are basically repeating Hamas and Hezbollah talking points, uh, you know, and demanding Israel be obliterated. Um, Not only is the technology and weaponry changed, Seth, the spirit has changed. The ideology has changed. It's coarsened our discourse. And it's much more suicidal than it was in the 70s and 60s, don't you think? It is willing to destroy itself in order to destroy the target. Right. That's scary. It's, it's, That's very scary. It is. It's interesting. And it can't be compromised no, either. No, no, you no. Know, no, of course not. Um, and it's interesting you bring up Thatcher. I was just thinking about, you know, we've never had the enemy side by side. How about inside? 300,000 marchers for genocide in London over the right. weekend? Oh, my right. God, Well, it, it goes deeper than that. How about the, the people that Biden hired to run his Iran policy shop Robert in the White Malley, House? Yeah. Malley, and then the woman who was yep. running the Palestinian yep. portfolio. Yep. They're all oh, Iranian Oh, over at Iran. Homeland Security. Yes, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And remember, remember, right. Seth, during the Arab Spring under Obama, it was Homeland, Department of Homeland Security that hired all the Muslim Brotherhood members yep. to advise the White House, the Obama White House, on how to handle the Arab Spring, and it quickly became an Islamist winter. Yes. All the Muslim Brotherhood yes. parties yes. in the Middle East were empowered by the Obama administration. Wonder why? It's the same logic. They love Islamists, these Democrats. They're, they're godless lovers of Islamists. You look at these protests, Brandon, a couple minutes left. Uh, love your take on something I haven't asked a lot of guests about. I have my own opinions. The audience knows them, I think. The distinction certain people are trying to make that these marches on our campuses, being pro-Palestinian does not mean being anti-Jew. <laughs> of course it does. Okay. Of course it does. You can't be pro-Palestinian and pro-Jew at the same time. Okay. Impossible. And anybody who says otherwise is a liar. Impossible. Because look at what they're saying. Look at the chant from the, what is it, from the river to the sea. Yep. Palestine you know, will be free. You know, Palestine. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Seth. I have a, a British map hanging in my, my bedroom. I should take a picture and post it sometime. It was uh, made in 1868. I bought it from a Bolshevik in, uh, on M Street in uh, Washington, D.C. when I lived there. And it's, a, and it's a map of the Middle East. Now, there's a place called Baluchistan, which is now part of Afghanistan. There is, uh, there's no Oman and no Yemen or no UAE on this map. And by the way, there's also no Palestine on that map. It's all part of Syria and Jordan. Mm-hmm. There's a Jerusalem, yeah. but there's no Palestine. There is no Palestinian state. It's made up. It's a fantasy created by anti-Semitic uh, communists who want to obliterate the Jews because the Jews of Israel have created a capitalistic paradise. They have created a system in Israel that is an affront to all ideological communists. And if you're an ideological Marxist, Leninist, communist, whatever, you have to hate uh, Israel, because it stands in complete opposition to what you as a communist would believe. It's why Palestine, being pro-Palestine, you have to 
hate Israel and hate the Jews, because they're an impediment to your revolution. It's why the People's Republic of China today is so decisively pro-Palestine and why they're leading the global south in supporting the bloody murderers and terrorists of the Palestinian uh, non-state. Well, Brandon, uh, clarity is not uh, un, uh, a lack of clarity is not something you suffer from. And, um, you know, po- trouble. <laughs> post that picture. But you know what? Post the picture of you holding your beautiful Elizabeth. I will. Yeah, I will. It, it just moved me so much when you sent it to me right before the show. Our third. Our third girl. Well, let it be the third of many more. And may she be healthy. <laughs> wow. She has a wonderful daddy and mommy. Thank you. Send put that Thank picture you. out. It's endearing. We could all use it. You know, we could all use it. I will. Thank you. Bless you. Bless you. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson show. Does this song come on a little more than most of the others? It seems like it does. I know it's supposed to be random, but it just does, doesn't it? It seems like it comes on more. I, 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 you said this about Charlie's Angels too. I think you're just uh, reliving your childhood. I'm, I'm in a re- reticular, yeah. I'm feeds. in a reticular feedback here with yeah. 1970s TV shows. All right. Um, oh yes, let me put in a good word for our sponsors at Y Refi. Uh, do you trust this economy? How about a secure investment that actually helps people? Y Refi has one, and you can earn up to a 10.25 percent fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. With Y-Refi, you're in control. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. No fees, no attack on principal if you ever need your money back. Total peace of mind with a monthly statement that comes with no surprises. It's a secure collateralized portfolio, and you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI. 888-Y-REFI-24. And make sure to tell them that Seth sent you. Well, this is kind of an interesting story. I was talking with a friend of mine uh, the other day about, uh, many of you know of the work of Ayan Hirsi Ali. Uh, She was born in uh, Somalia, moved to the Netherlands. She was brought uh, um, brought up in Islam. And um, talks and writes a lot about all the anti-Semitic fare she was given and brought up and trained to believe. And she's kind of the counterpoise to Ilan Omar. They both kind of had a similar upbringing, similar country. One came to love America, one came to hate it. She left, Ayan Hirsi Ali left Islam and became an atheist. Just wrote a piece uh, a few days ago, three days ago. She is now becoming a Christian. She said... um, to her, religion was primarily based on fear, and uh, she she abandoned all the reasons for believing in God that the irrational fear of hellfire lingered uh, in her, based on the religion she grew up with and grew up in. Um, you see this sometimes with political philosophy. People who were steeped in communism uh, come to hate political philosophy because to them that's what it is. It's Marxism and all that stuff that comes from it. Um, There are other political philosophies and there are other religions, and it's beautiful to see that uh, she will be joining uh, the faith of peace, of Christianity, and I wish her, of course, God's strength and God's speed in that pursuit. Okay, thank you, uh, David All. Thank you, Mr. Bill. Thank you, everyone. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed.
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.